Welcome to Family Travel Radio, the official podcast of the Family Travel Association. Family Travel Radio is on the air, helping you discover the world of possibilities family travel has to offer. Well, hello there and welcome back once again to Family Travel Radio, your go-to podcast for incredible destinations, amazing experiences, and life-changing family adventures. It's Aaron Schlein here and today we are talking U.S. National Parks with a repeat guest, Shelly Bailey Shaw from Kid Tripster, who is going to talk in depth about her top five picks for national parks for families. Whether you are a national park newbie or a seasoned veteran, Shelly's got some great recommendations, some great tips for your next national park adventure. Shelly is also an experienced RV driver, which I absolutely am not, but would like to be someday. So we get into some of Shelly's best advice for seeing the country and especially seeing those national parks in an RV. This is one of those episodes that you're probably going to want to listen to again someday. Pound for pound, this might be the most advice-packed episode we've ever done here at Family Travel Radio. As always, links are in the show notes at familytravel.org slash radio. And as you'd expect, this episode has a lot of links. So check out the show notes over at familytravel.org slash radio. All right, off we go with Shelly Bailey Shaw from Kid Tripster. Let's talk national parks. All right. Very pleased to welcome back to Family Travel Radio our very first true repeat guest to the program, Shelly Bailey Shaw from Kid Tripster. Shelly, welcome back to the show. Thank you. I feel so privileged to be the first. Shelly, I don't mean to embarrass you with this question, but tell us where in the world are you right now? (laughs) I'm actually home, which I don't say very often. I live in Portland, Oregon with my husband and my two sons. I have a 16-year-old and a 19-year-old who spends part of his time at college at the University of San Diego, so he's actually closer to you than he is to me. If you don't mind getting just a little more specific about where you are right this moment. (laughs) You are totally calling me out. I have a house full of (laughs) 16-year-old teenage boys, so I am recording this podcast in my closet. Shelly Bailey Shaw is a pro of pros. She showed up. She got here for this interview today, come hell or high water, even though she's in the closet. The acoustics are wonderful, by the way. You could have, you sound like you're in a recording studio. Well, you know, my, my clothes are creating a buffer, I think. So maybe we'll do it here all the time, Aaron. I don't know. Might be onto something. Certainly appreciate you taking the time once again with us, Shelly. Today we're talking adventure. We're talking national parks. And Shelly is Shelly's joining us today to talk about her top five favorite national parks in the United States. And Shelly, before we hit the road here on talking national parks, give us a little background on your criteria. How did you select these top five? Well, I have to be honest, when you asked me to come up with a list of my top national parks for kids, I really struggled because honestly, I could make a case for nearly each and every one of the national parks. Um, Though I admit that there's probably, I don't know, about three of them that I have visited that I'm like, eh, I might not go back to those. So I don't know if we want to call out those parks. It's a very, you know, personal thing. Those are parks that that just don't appeal to me. They might appeal to other people. But as far as the criteria goes, I I felt like I needed to have visited the park so that I can recommend it based on my own personal experience. To date, my family and I have visited 45 of the 61 
national parks. So I feel like I have a pretty good feel for them. And secondly, I only considered parks that I thought were like fairly easy for families to reach by car. So, you know, the Hawaiian national parks, America, Samoa, St. John, Dry Tortuga, uh, those are out. I also didn't include any Alaskan national parks because those are a haul. But I will tell you when I put this question to my oldest son, he said that his all-time favorite national park was Wrangell St. Elias in Alaska. Um, it's the largest of the national parks, yet it's mostly unknown. Um, but it has fabulous scenery. Uh, I think what really appealed to him was it was the place where we went ice climbing. And that was a pretty awesome experience. So if you are headed to Alaska, for sure, put that one on your list. But other than that, I just considered those in the lower 48. All right. Appreciate you setting that up. And yeah, Alaska, though technically accessible by car, does not quite meet the easy by car criteria. <laughs> right. so I'm glad that you mentioned that actually, that these all these parks are accessible by car because you gave me your list in advance, just full disclosure, and you said it was in no particular order. Just to have some fun with it, I put it into a particular order and I sorted your five favorite national parks based on their distance from my hometown in Sacramento. So we're going to go in order, starting with the shortest distance from my hometown in Sacramento to the, the furthest distance. So I guess if you're on the East coast of the United States and you want to get the full effect, <laughs> just listen to the episode backwards. <laughs> it's all about you, Aaron. Come on, let's be honest. Oh, Hey, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Very kind. Kindest thing anyone said to me all day. <sighs> All right, so let's get started with number one. Our first national park on Shelley's list of top five national parks for families is located 702 miles from Sacramento. You take I-80 East out of town into Nevada, you hook up with US-50 and onto US-93 into southwestern Utah, where you connect with Interstate 15 South and arrive 702 miles later at Zion National Park. Shelley, take us through Zion. I love Zion National Park in Utah. I think it's a particularly good park for RVers, or if you're thinking about renting an RV, I'm a huge RV enthusiast. So uh, that is typically how my family travels to these parks. And basically you can just park your rig at South or Watchman campgrounds in the park, and then use the free shuttle system to access all the other areas of the park. So this is a, this park's a little bit unique that you can't drive your car through Zion National Park. Everything is done for, uh, through a shuttle system in order to protect the park. I recommend a couple things here. Um, biking the Piraeus Trail, uh, wading in the Virgin River. My kids love getting into the water there right at the campground. And there are a lot of really good family hikes here. I particularly like the upper and lower Emerald Pools hike, easy for young kids. Um, the Weeping Rock Trail is another really good one for families. You see these these huge hanging gardens where you can catch water droplets that have been making their way down inside the canyon walls for like 1,200 years. And if you have teenagers, the narrow is an adventure hike through a chute canyon, most of which is done um, hiking through water. So that can be a really challenging and an exciting experience for older kids. Um, Zion, I think, uh, works out really well in like a two-week a vacation where you do a loop like through Arches, Canyonlands, Bryce Canyon, and then the north rim of the Grand Canyon. It's kind of a classic RV itinerary, but Zion is not to be missed. Well, before we move on, I'm going to point out that Shelly has a companion 
blog post that serves as just a great companion to this episode over at kidtripster.com that goes through details and photographs of all the parks we're going to talk about today. So that'll be at kidtripster.com. And of course, I'll have it linked up in the show notes at familytravel.org slash radio. Shelly, real quick, RVing, that's, that's something that's intriguing to me but I've never personally done it. I see it in my family's future. Give me just a quick little background on your, just your general RV experience and how it can be so cool for exploring these, these national parks. Yeah. You know, we started RVing in about 2009 and the first trip we took was actually the one that I just described. And then some, we bit off a lot on that trip. It was a three week trip where we did all the parks that I just mentioned. And then we uh, moved into California and and then worked our way up and did Sequoia, uh, Yosemite, Kings Canyon, and then crossed over uh, through Lake Tahoe and then back to Utah. So it was like a three-week loop. And on that particular trip, we rented our RV for the very first time, a, a Class C. And when I say a Class C, those are the RVs that are kind of, they're, they're built like trucks and they have a, like a cab uh, a sleeping area over the cab. And so we, we did that trip. We loved RVing. Uh, we rented a second time a couple years later and did another classic uh, road trip, the Yellowstone Grand Tetons RV trip. And then after that, we actually purchased purchased a Class A. Those are the, the longer motorhomes that sort of look like a bus. And uh, so we are now on our second Class A. And, and actually, after I get done with the podcast with you, we are hitting the road in our RV and uh, we're headed down to Bend, Oregon today. So I, uh, I, drive, I drive a 38-foot um, RV and when we're towing like we are today, we're about 45 feet going down the road. So yeah, it's, it's, it can be a challenge at first, but I think RVing is absolutely the best way uh, to not only see our national parks, but to see the country in general. Shelly, is there anything you can't do? <laughs> oh, there's plenty I can't do. <laughs> that, that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> yeah, we'll have a, we'll have a things Shelly can't do podcast someday. <laughs> so bringing it back to, to Zion. So you said you, you drive the RV, but you can't actually drive the RV in the park, but do you, do you stay, do you sleep in the RV when the day's over? How does that work? Absolutely. So they're at, at Zion in particular, uh, there's South and Watchman campgrounds, which are RV accessible. So you can either tent or RV camp in those locations. And so you drive in, you set up camp, you have hookups there. So at certain campgrounds, you're going to have water and electric at other commercial campgrounds, you might have sewage and cable TV and um, all that sort of thing. But at Zion, it's a little more rustic, but you just kind of leave the RV right there and you're within walking distance to the shuttle stop. And so you get on the shuttle and then the shuttle takes you all throughout the park. And so you can access all the trailheads through the shuttle system at Zion. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go right now. I love this. I love this so much. <laughs> My wife and I have been kicking around the idea of, of at least taking like that first baby step RV trip, kind of like what you described and someday work up to our first, second and third class A. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, if for first timers, we actually have an article on Kid Tripster to walk you through the entire process for first timers. Maybe we can link to that too. We certainly can. But it, uh, you know, if you, if you rent a uh, like a 30 foot class C, they drive very much like a pickup truck. So the driving part of it is really not that much of a challenge. I would say when you get up into the bigger RVs where you're like owning and you own like a motor home, those, those, 
can be a little more challenging. But to rent, I don't think there should be, you know, any hesitation for families. And we did our first RV trip when my son was about four or five. So I think, you know, earlier the better. Get them out in nature. Get them out doing road trips. Maybe don't do the three-week road trip that we did. That was probably a week too long. But, you know, a good week or two weeks I think is totally doable for first-timers. Right, well, I appreciate your candor there. I love that advice from the road. So we're going to move on. We're going to leave Zion. And our second national park on the list is a cool 741 mile drive from Sacramento. And this time we're headed out of town to the north on Interstate 5, where you're going to be on I-5 for 700 of those 741 <laughs> miles. You're going to go all the way through Northern California, the entire span of Oregon, south to north. And then finally to Olympia, Washington, you'll slide over to US 101 and on into Olympic National Park. Take us there, Shelley. So now we're, we're in my home territory here, the Pacific Northwest, and Olympic National Park is in Washington State. And if you didn't want to drive it from Sacramento, you could fly into Seattle and then, you know, pick up an RV rental perhaps. And then uh, it's a very short drive from, from Seattle. Um, so I've chosen this park because I think that it offers families a lot of diversity. This park is nearly a million acres in size and it boasts three distinct ecosystems. So you've got the, the glacier capped mountains and on a clear day, you know, you can hike up to the Alpine area on Hurricane Ridge and the views there of the Cascades really can't be beat. And then you can drive down the mountain and you come to Ho Rainforest and a very doable Hall of Mosses trail through what you'd swear looks like Middle Earth. It's very cool. And then my boy's favorite section of Olympic um, is the over 70 miles of Rocky Pacific coastline. So I think the prettiest of all the beaches is Ruby Beach. It's just a, it's great for photography, great for, you know, running around with the kids and um, the water's cold. So you're not going to be doing a lot of swimming, uh, but there's a lot of, you know, rock climbing and driftwood and then that sort of thing. And then if you can snag a camping spot at Koalak Campground, you are sitting pretty because that campground is just steps from one of the longest, most pristine stretches of beaches that you're going to find anywhere. So I think Olympic has a lot to offer families in one national park. What was the name of that, that campsite again? It's Kalalak. Yeah, it's K-A-L-A-L-O-C-H. I think I'm pronouncing it right. Kalalak um, campground. Well, well, we'll link that up as well. But you mentioned, you said, if you can snag one. So it sounds like it's a challenging spot to get. Any tips for folks who might be trying to snag that great campsite? You want to reserve early. And frankly, that's a tip for every single campground because these campgrounds, they go quickly and each of them have a little bit of a different reservation window, but typically you're going to be able to reserve nine months to a year out and you should. I can second that. Not necessarily, I've never been to Olympic National Park, but anywhere along the coast here in, in California, if you want to get a good campsite, especially during a desirable time of year, you've got to book six months, a year out minimum just to, just to put yourself in, in the running Yeah, or you just got to know somebody who's really good at planning <laughs> like Shelly, for example. All right. So we're going to leave Olympic behind and we're on to our third of Shelly's top five national parks for families. And this time we're going to be traveling 899 miles from Sacramento, east out of town on Interstate 80 through Nevada and Idaho. And then you, a very brief stint in Montana before you roll into Wyoming and Yellowstone National Park. 
Yes, Yellowstone, of course, you know, this might seem like a no-brainer to some of your listeners, or, you know, if you haven't been to Yellowstone, you may think that it's overhyped. I'm here to tell you that it's really not. Recently, my family and I, we were traveling in um, New Zealand and in Iceland, two countries that are sort of known for their geothermal features, you know, like geysers, hot springs, thermal pools, all of that. But in both cases, as we were rocking around, what are the best geothermal features in these countries? Both of my sons said, it ain't no Yellowstone. <laughs> and you know what? They, they were right. It ain't no Yellowstone um, because Yellowstone is really a place that um, there's no compare when it comes to geothermal features. So, you know, beyond Old Faithful, there's these wonderful thermal pools in Yellowstone that are truly stunning. I could I could stand and photograph Morning Glory all day long. Mammoth Hot Springs to the north is another not-to-be-missed location. Plus, you've got the Grand Canyon of Yellowstone and the waterfalls near Canyon Village. Uh, the Tower Roosevelt is another area of Yellowstone. It has a real like Wild West kind of feel. Um, so those are all the different landscapes. But then there's the wildlife. And with perhaps the exception of the brown bears at Lake Clark National Park in Alaska, my family has found this park to, to be the location of our best wildlife encounters. So of course, there's bison galore. You can't miss the bison. They're everywhere walking alongside the road, walking in the road. They're, they're everywhere. Uh, this is also the park where we saw a mama bear and two cubs crossing the road right in front of us. So that was a, a thrill. And then, you know, we also watched this really fascinating drama play out between um, several pronghorn and a stalking coyote. I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it's wildlife at its best. So I think uh, Yellowstone is a park that you want to visit when your kids are young, you know, probably age uh, five and up. And of course, if you're going to go to Yellowstone, you should spend a few days in Grand Teton as well, because that, that's, that's a stunning mountain range. And it's just an hour south of Yellowstone. The list of things to do, obviously, is remarkable in Yellowstone. Give me a, a general guideline. How much, how much time do we need to at least feel like we've experienced the essence of Yellowstone. Obviously, you can't see it all, but if I'm taking my family there, especially for the first time with young kids, how long, how long should I spend, in your opinion? I think that if you would, and, and I, this is how we tend to travel in these national parks, we'll spend one night in one campground in one section, and then we're going to move, and we're going to go to another campground in another section, and then we're going to move. So you're not backtracking a lot. So if you sort of use that strategy, um, I think you can see, you know, if you had five good days in Yellowstone and then take, a, you know, another couple days in Grand Teton. So a little over a week would be what I would say is a minimum trip. And what are the RV rules in Yellowstone? There are lots of camping opportunities for RVs and tents in, in Yellowstone. And you, well, the only thing to pay attention to is the size of your rig and the size of that, the minimum, or I'm sorry, the maximum size that are allowable in the campgrounds. But I remember traveling there in, I think at the time we were maybe in a 31 foot RV or whatever, and we had no problems. So it's a very... Um, accessible national park for RVs. And you'll find that a lot of people travel there in RVs. So uh, totally doable. Cool. Love that. And I love the idea of just driving around in anything that I get to refer to as a rig. <laughs> 
They're definitely rigs. <laughs> it's a rig. It just sounds so legit. Appreciate that, Shelly. And our fourth park is going to get us into the quadruple digits in miles from Sacramento. Once again, interstate east out of town into northern Nevada. You hit US 95, drive through parts of Oregon and Idaho before rolling into Montana, where US Highway 2 leads you into Glacier National Park. I have to say that I think Glacier is my personal favorite. I would reserve this park, though, for when your kids get older. And the reason I say that is that to visit Glacier with, with teens is because to, to discover its true glory, and I do mean the glory of Glacier, you have to get deep into the park via a serious hike. For example, you can hike to Gurnell Glacier uh, is one where you go up and just the vistas. I mean, they're around every corner. It just gets better and better. If you're a photographer, (laughs) this hike is really challenging because you get to one spot and you take this this picture, this glorious scene, right? And then you walk a couple other feet and oh, now you're stopping again. You're taking another picture. I mean, my family hates this hike with me because I'm taking pictures so often, but it's, it's that beautiful, but it's strenuous. You know, it's a lot of up and down, better for older kids. I also think it's fun to do the classic red bus tour here in Glacier. And they're not really buses. It's those old time station wagons with the open tops. You've probably seen pictures of them, but that's another fun activity at Glacier. But, you know, as far as stunning beauty, Glacier really can't be beat. I've never, I've never been to Montana. My wife went to school at the University of Montana and she's been raving and raving and raving yeah. saying we're going to go there one of these days. And when we do finally get that RV rig, that, that's <laughs> Glacier's definitely going to be on, on that list. Now I have to tell you though, Glacier's one of them that is not very RV friendly. And the reason is, is that there's a um, one road that goes through Glacier from east to west and it's called um, the going to the sun road. And it is very windy, hairpin turns, cliffs down either side. And so there is a uh, length restriction on what type of vehicles can actually drive that road. So our RV was too big to drive through Glacier. So our strategy and in, in what most um, RVers will do is they'll stay on a park on the outside of, of, of the national park. They'll stay at a campground, like a KOA or, or another commercial campground on the outside of the park. And then they'll either tow a vehicle and drive in or they'll take advantage of that red bus tour and use that as a way of actually seeing the park. So it is doable to get to Glacier with an RV, but it's probably not going to be a park that you want to drive in an RV. It's, it's, it's a nail biter. You just saved my wife a lot of nail biting. <laughs> <laughs> like it's and especially for your first time, I would not recommend Glacier in an RV. Well, one other thing about Glacier, and it's right there in the name, time of year makes an impact really anywhere in the world that you visit, but national parks in particular. Talk to me about the, the, the best and maybe the worst times of year to visit Glacier. You know, Glacier has a very short season because of the weather. So sometimes the main road that going to the Sun Road doesn't even open up until June. And so you're going to probably be visiting Glacier during the summer months, um, June, July, August, even getting into like mid-September, that park's going to start shutting down. So the window for Glacier is very small. 
So you are going to be sharing this park with a lot of people because, um, you know, you just, that's when most of the people visit. Now, if you lived closer um, and had more flexibility, you could, of course, visit Glacier during the winter, which presents, you know, an entirely different experience. But, you know, if you're coming from California and you have to deal with winter weather and that sort of thing, probably not your best idea. I will say that in general, the shoulder seasons at national parks tend to be great times to visit um, because you have fewer crowds or even Yellowstone, you know, experiencing Yellowstone during the winter, the park is open during the winter is a completely different experience, a wonderful experience. You can go snowmobiling, you'll see a lot of wildlife during the winter. And best of all, you, you probably won't see many people, you know, you're going to, you're going to have most of that park to yourself. So you know, that is a possibility. With Glacier, though, I would not recommend a winter visit for uh, especially someone who's maybe new to Montana. Well, thank you for that. And I can echo certainly what you said about visiting in the shoulder season. My family and I, we go to to Yosemite National Park about once a year, which is one of the closest parks to Sacramento. And we go, we like to go in April. It's just a great time to go. You don't get the same experience from year to year because the weather in April can vary greatly from year to year. We've had 80 degrees and sunny. We've had snow during the same week in April. And that's one of the things we like about it. It's almost like you're getting a different experience every year. But yeah, those shoulder seasons can be magical in national parks and in a lot of places around the world. All right, we're on to number five, fifth and final National Park on Shelley's list of her top five favorites for families. 1,187 miles from Sacramento. You're going to take I-80 East again out of town. You're going to stay on I-80 for a long time, all the way to Salt Lake City, <laughs> where you're going to catch Interstate 70, which will take you into Colorado. And the payoff will come when you get to Colorado State Highway 150, which takes you to the doorstep of Great Sand Dunes National Park. Yes, hands down, my family pick for the most fun national park. So here, it's just a really unique setting. So you have this sand dune field uh, that just sort of rises out of nowhere. Um, And so you can do some really challenging hikes to what's called high dune in the park. But what my kids will tell you to do is to go sandboarding and sand sledding. And so at the park, or actually just on the outside of the park, you can rent sand-specific gear, whether it be sleds or boards, to use inside of the park. And I will say, you need to rent the right gear because a piece of cardboard or a snow sled just isn't going to cut it. You can ask me how I know that because I tried and it didn't (laughs) cut it. So you're going to have to shell out the money to uh, rent the right gear, but it is so much fun. And, you know, sandboarding is, is very similar to snowboarding. Both my kids and I were trying it for the first time, and uh, it will not come as a surprise to you that they picked it up a lot more quickly than I did. Uh, so by, you know, the second time, my, my younger son, who's a bit of a daredevil, he's, he's picked it up entirely. He didn't, he didn't fall at all. Um, me, not so much. But it was a lot of fun. And then after you've totally exhausted yourself on the dunes, Uh, Later in the day, you're going to come down to the riverbed. It's the Mandano River at the base of the dunes. It's a great place for, you know, just uh, having fun in the water. If you come early enough in the season in June, you can actually 
uh, tube this river. And it has this really unique natural phenomenon called surge flow. And it's kind of this mysterious rippling in the water. And it's just, it's just really interesting, really fun to watch. And uh, if you have a family pet, it's one of the rare places that your dog can go swimming in the water too. Our lab uh, ranks this amongst his favorite parks <laughs> as well. So exhaustive fun. That's the only way I can describe um, a visit to Great Sand Dunes. Great park. I, I sense an, maybe an offshoot website, Dog Tripster someday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My dog could tell you lots about national parks. And I will say, for those of your listeners who do travel with their pets, they'll know that National parks don't allow pets to go hiking on any of the trails. And so uh, it's kind of a rarity that you're able to, to take your dog, but you can take your dog in the water and on the dunes at Great Sand Dunes National Park. Wow. Shelly, you're just a, really an encyclopedia of knowledge on these national parks. I really appreciate it. And it's very relevant and timely for me because my wife and I, we did a lot of international travel and just really exploring the globe before kids, knowing that when we had kids, we would really start focusing more on our own backyard and these overland, more easily accessible trips. So this is awesome, awesome stuff. And I'm sure there's a lot of parents out there who feel the same way I do. They're ready to get that, that exploring started. We've got these amazing parks right here in the US just waiting for us. So not with one particular park in mind, do you have any just general, general tips for exploring national parks as a family, how to make the most of that time? I do. So a couple of things. Um, we alluded to this earlier, but I just want to sort of put a point on it. You need to make those reservations early. So we're talking a year to nine months in advance. Get on those websites early to see what the uh, window is for the particular park you want to visit. And then uh, when you actually go on the trip, arrive early. So especially if you're going to some of the more popular sites in the national parks, you want to be there at the beginning of the day. Um, and if that means dragging the family out of bed at, you know, seven o'clock in the morning to be at the gate at eight, you're, it's going to pay off. Do it. Um, so arrive early, kind of do those popular sites in the morning. Um, and then in the afternoon, you know, you can get off the, the beaten path a little bit more and, and explore some um, other areas of the park. Always check the schedule for ranger talks online before you go. So again, you have an idea already of what's going on that day. And so you can, you know, make arrangements. Just let me stop you right there real quick. Folks who don't know what a ranger talk is, tell me about that real quick. Yeah, you know, I have to say we have not only beautiful national parks, but a fantastic national park service. And I have always been impressed with the professionalism of the rangers at these national parks. And so they will not only answer questions for you at the visitor center and, and give you really good advice on hikes and things to see, but they also have um, scheduled talks and sometimes um, walks or hikes uh, at the particular visitor centers at each of these parks. And so always take advantage of those. And those, those, those parks, those park talks aren't always the same. Um, usually they're themed in some way. So there might be one that's on particular wildlife that you're going to see in the park, or one might be on the geological features. A lot of these campgrounds have evening programs where the rangers will actually come to the campground that you're staying at. And then you'll have another a talk on maybe nocturnal animals, or maybe it's a stargazing ranger talk. But Always, always, I come away, you know, having a greater appreciation of the park that I'm visiting and I feel a lot smarter. 
<laughs> and for you, that's hard because you're a pretty smart gal, Shelly. Oh, no, no, no. I have lots to learn. And then these rangers are just um, totally knowledgeable. And all the ranger talks are free. So why wouldn't you go? That's right. But tax, our taxpayer dollars at work take advantage. So, Shelly, I kind of stopped you. You were, you were wrapping up some of your, your other general tips. If you want to finish that up, we can yeah. get to that. Uh, so in addition to the ranger talks, I'm always a stickler about um, watching the park movie. So at the visitor center at every park, they play a usually 15 to 20 minute um, film that sort of gives you an introduction to the park. And I always like to make that my family's very first stop because I just think it's, it's important to have some base of knowledge um, and then go out and see it in person. So um, I'm a big fan of the park movies. Um, also, the Junior Ranger program. So for those folks who have not visited national parks before, there is a kid-specific program at every national park and every national monument um, where you pick up a junior ranger booklet. And basically, you um, it's kind of a workbook that, again, introduces your kids to what's special about that particular national park. And you work your way through the workbook, um, you attend a ranger talk, and then at the end of the day, you bring it back to the visitor center and then you are sworn in as a junior ranger. So it's super cute. I mean, the kids stand there with their hands up and they take an oath given by one of the park rangers and then they either get a little plastic uh, badge or in some cases a patch um, that they can collect. And so, uh, you know, when my kids were younger, this was a big deal. Like we always did the ranger program. They always got their patch or their badge. They, they kept them in a special box. And I have to say that again, you know, it's not just for the kids. I, I, I learned a tremendous amount, um, going through these workbooks with the kids. And again, I just think it gives you a greater appreciation for what you're seeing. And then my last tip has to do uh, with maybe a, a little bit of a cost savings. You know, national parks are not expensive, frankly. I mean, it's one of the few things that is pretty affordable um, when it comes to travel. But the national park system has a program called Every Kids in a Park, and it's for fourth graders. And every fourth grader in this country and their family get in free for an entire year. So all you have to do is go online, uh, fill out the form, and then make sure to print out your pass because you're going to need the physical pass when you go to these national parks. So that's a great introduction um, in when your kid's a fourth grader. And then also, if you plan on doing a uh, maybe an RV trip like we talked about where you're going to hit a number of national parks, you may want to check out getting yourself a uh, national park pass for that particular year because that can save you money as well. I think that currently, I think it's about $70 um, and it gets you into all the national parks um, for an entire year. So that's a pretty good deal. Wow. Shelly, Bailey Shaw, you've said it all. My head is spinning. I am ready to hit the road. And you talked about that, getting that base of knowledge before you visit a place. The base of knowledge you've given us on these five parks and much, much more. Very, very grateful to you for that. And over at kidtripster.com, again, Shelly has a post that's going to serve as a great companion to this episode. Lots of great photos. And I'll link that up in the show notes. And I'm, there's a lot that's going to get linked up in these show notes. I'm going to pour back through this interview, anything that Shelly mentioned that's of interest, of value, and there's a link out there 
there. I'm going to drop it in the show notes at familytravel.org slash radio. Follow along with Kid Tripster on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and YouTube. Very easy, at Kid Tripster across the board on social. That's at Kid Tripster, just the way it sounds, K-I-D-T-R-I-P-S-T-E-R. Shelly, Bailey Shaw, thank you so much for joining us once again on Family Travel Radio. Appreciate you, and we'll talk again soon, I'm sure. Thank you, Aaron. Did I not promise you an advice-packed episode? Yes, indeed, my friend. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Shelly Bailey Shaw from Kid Tripster. I certainly look forward to seeing you out on the road exploring the national parks, perhaps in an RV rig. Maybe you'll see me out there, too. Just watch those rearview mirrors if you see me coming. Everything Shelly and I talked about today, we've got it summarized for you in the show notes over at familytravel.org slash radio. We've got links to all the articles, all the resources, everything you need to know. It's right there, familytravel.org slash radio. Alrighty, we'll be back next week. Until then, this is Aaron Schlein for Family Travel Radio, and I'm signing off. See ya.